As I said this morning, I want to talk about the ascension of Jesus. I wonder if you've ever thought how good it would be if Jesus was still around in person, like you could make an appointment to see him. So I would imagine there would probably be a really long queue. We could maybe invite him one Sunday as our guest speaker, or better still, he could post his messages on YouTube for everyone to hear. Uh, and then you wouldn't have to listen to guys like me. If only he had stuck around after the resurrection, then everyone would know for sure that he is who he claimed to be. But instead, as the Apostles' Creed puts it, on the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I guess it probably passed most people by, but Thursday of this last week was celebrated as commemorating the day that Jesus ascended to heaven. In many countries, it's a public holiday, and it's always 40 days after Easter Sunday, because according to the Bible, that's when it took place. Now, with all the Zoom quizzes that we're all doing, you just never know when that little bit of information might come in useful. It seems odd to me that we, we make such a big thing of the birth of Jesus, the death and resurrection of Jesus, but generally we let his ascension pass by without any remark. I don't know about you, but no one has ever wished me a happy ascension day. Why is the ascension worth celebrating? Well, because it's in his ascended position that Jesus is able to take all that he accomplished through his birth and death and resurrection and release that into the universe and into your life and my life with all of its power to save and heal and restore and make things new. <clears throat> In other words, it is very much to our advantage that Jesus didn't stick around on earth but returned to heaven after his resurrection. So this morning, I want to look at what is ascension meant for Jesus and what it means for us and why it's something that we should definitely celebrate. Ephesians 1 verses 18 to 23, I think that's going to come up on screen. It says this, this is Paul uh, speaking, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. So first of all, I want to ask the question, what did his ascension mean for Jesus? And really, it was a huge thing. The Ascension isn't just a, a minor detail in the story of Jesus that informs us why he isn't walking around on the earth today. 
There are loads of scriptures that we could look at, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that describe the event. And the emphasis isn't so much on where he went from, but where he went to, because that changes everything. Let me, this morning, I just want to flag up three things that his ascension meant for Jesus. First of all, it meant that he was crowned King of Kings. When Jesus ascended, it wasn't just a change of location. When we read the story in Luke and in Acts and so on, it's, it focuses on how it impacted uh, the disciples and they kind of saw Jesus taken up before their eyes. But it wasn't just simply a change of location, it was a coronation. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father where he has been given authority over all of creation, which means that there is nothing in all creation, visible or invisible, that is not subject to him. As yet, we, re- we need to recognize that his authority is not universally accepted, but the day will surely come when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The scriptures paint a picture of the ascension as a huge event in the heavenly realms. As we see the gates of heaven been thrown open wide to welcome Jesus back, the conquering hero returning victorious from battle, still bearing the scars of his time on earth. We see thousands upon thousands of angels thundering out his praise. The return of Jesus to the Father's side was a huge event in the heavenly realms. Second thing, it meant that his mission was successfully completed. Philippians 2 sets out how in becoming a man, Jesus had laid aside his glory and majesty in heaven. He'd taken the nature of a servant, allowing himself to be slandered and beaten and scourged, nailed to a cross, mocked, humiliated. The ascension means that all of that is behind him. As Jesus died on the cross, he cried, it's finished. It wasn't a cry of despair, but a cry of victory. It meant his work is done, his mission accomplished, and now he returns to the glory that he knew with the Father before the world began. Totally vindicated. The ascension is God the Father saying that Jesus did everything that he was sent to do. His work on our behalf is accepted. Third thing, it meant while his work on earth is done, his work in heaven is just beginning. In Revelation 5, Jesus is portrayed as a lamb on the throne, looking like it had been slain. Jesus is God's sacrificial lamb who died in our place. He paid the price of our sin and and the debt was paid in full. But that isn't the end of his work. We see the lamb being given the scroll that is sealed with seven seals. The scroll sets out God's plan to overthrow the forces of evil and all their creation-destroying schemes and usher in a new creation. And Jesus alone is worthy to take the scroll and open it and execute the plan. He's not just ruling in name, he is definitely in charge, the supreme authority over all creation. So when we're told that Jesus is seated, that doesn't mean that he's taking it easy, like he's chilling out for a few thousand years before he swings into action again. It's not like he's sitting on the substitute's bench, 
watching the church take a pace thing and then he'll come on just before the final whistle and score the winning goal. His being seated there means he is in charge. It also means that there is no need for any more sacrifice for sins. You know, in the earthly temple, the priests never sat down because their work was never finished. The same sacrifices had to be repeated day after day, year after year, over and over. But Hebrews 10 verse 12 says that when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So Jesus is seated on the heavenly throne, both as our king and as our high priest. And he's one who has walked where we walk, who understands our weaknesses, who understands the pressures that we live with. And he is there now interceding for us. As the song says, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. That leads us on to our second question. What does the ascension of Jesus mean for us? When he was preparing his disciples for what lay ahead, Jesus said, this is in John 16, it is for your good that I am going away. Why was it for our good? There are loads of reasons that we could look at, but time is limited. So I'm just going to mention five reasons that it was for our good that Jesus went away. First, the ascension means that Christ has been given to the church for our good. Let's look again at that verse in Ephesians 1, uh, verse 22. It says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills everything in every way. There's no human being is the head of the church. No pope, no archbishop, the head of the church is Jesus. But what is in view here isn't just the authority of Jesus. It's saying that he is the source. He is the center that directs and energizes the life of the church, which is his body. Just as your body grew from a single cell, so the body of Christ grows from him. He inhabits every part of it by his spirit. Just as the glory of God filled the temple, so Jesus fills the church. It's what theologians refer to as the mystical union of Christ and his church. And it means that whatever is true of Jesus is also true of the church. That's why Paul can say that we are seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Whatever is true of him is true of us. Listen, if only our hearts could grasp this amazing reality, it would change how we see things. Second thing the ascension of Jesus means is that he is in heaven as our champion. Sitting on the throne of the universe is not an archangel or a seraphim or a cherubim, but a man, one like us, one of us. Hebrews 12, 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. The Greek word there translated author means our champion, our prince, our pioneer. Our fate is bound up with his. We share in his victory. You know, in ancient times, rather than 
having a, a great battle where thousands of people would be killed, the opposing armies would sometimes put forward their champion, their best representative. This, this is what the story of David and Goliath is really all about. And the two champions would go head to head and it was a case of winner takes all. The fate of the whole army is bound up with their champion. We share in his victory. That's the reality. Now, maybe you're thinking that a lot of the time it doesn't feel like we're on the winning side. And you know what? You'd be quite right. Because Hebrews 2 verse 8 says, Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him. The writer is quoting here from Psalm 8. You know, what is man that you are mindful of him? The him in question here refers not to Jesus, but to us to humankind. God's purpose for us was that we would rule over the rest of creation on his behalf. And we blew it and, and ended up exploiting and destroying creation rather than blessing it. And because of us, all of creation's out of whack. That's the larger context in which we see things like this global pandemic that we're going through. But you know what? Part of the hope to which he has called us is that we will be restored to our true relationship with creation. So the writer of Hebrews continues, sure, he says, we, we don't yet see things, we don't see all things under his feet, our feet yet, but what we do see is Jesus, now crowned with glory and honour. All things have been placed under his feet, and where the head goes, the body follows. Jesus is the first man to be crowned with glory and honour, over all creation, but he won't be the last. The scripture says that he is bringing many sons to glory. That includes male and female sons. All things have been, have been, have been set under his feet and what will happen to us, what, will ha what happened to him will happen to us. He is our champion. So we can be confident that however things look right now, the futility, and frustration and sickness and suffering of this present age will not have the last word. Third thing, Jesus is in heaven as our advocate. 1 John 2 verses 1 to 2 says, If anyone sins, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So the picture here is that of a law court. In Revelation 12.10, Satan is called the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before God's throne day and night. So Satan is like a ruthless, determined, prosecuting lawyer who mercilessly exposes your every fault and failing. He will try to make you feel disgusted with yourself. He will try to make you feel like a pathetic excuse for a Christian. And every time you sin or fall short, he'll be there on your back. He is always looking to find fault. And maybe you're someone who <clears throat> struggles to believe that God loves you, that God forgives you. You live with a sense of inadequacy or guilt and shame and you, and you just can't seem to shake it off. What you need to know is that you have Jesus as the counsel for your defense. He speaks on your behalf. He intercedes for you. Now, 
You know, it's easy to get a wrong picture of how this works. You, you can imagine somehow that when you sin, like the father is going, oh, I just can't believe that she did that again. How long am I going to put up with her? And then Jesus gets in front of him and, and pleads with him and says, oh, please, father, have mercy one more time. And he's like, okay, well, for your sake, I'll let her off this time. But it isn't like that. A good lawyer doesn't appeal to the emotions. A good lawyer makes a convincing case. And the case that Jesus makes is that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He has paid the penalty in full. He's not standing there pleading for mercy for us. The amazing thing is, is that he is asking for justice. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Jesus isn't like some clever lawyer who just kind of gets us off on a technicality. Yes, God is merciful. He is. But in Christ, both God's mercy and justice are fully satisfied. So whenever we stop making excuses and blaming other people and, and face up to our sins and put our trust in Jesus, then he stands before the Father on our behalf. He's already paid the penalty, so God's justice requires that you and I are pardoned. It's amazing. Fourthly, from heaven, Jesus sends us his spirit. Before he ascended, he told his followers to wait in Jerusalem until they were clothed with power from on high. And then 10 days later, on what we call the day of Pentecost, the spirit is poured out on the waiting church empowering us to carry on his mission. We'll celebrate that event next Sunday, and I'm delighted that we'll have Jeremy Simpkins as our speaker to tell us more about that. So all I want to say this morning is that the coming of the Spirit is the evidence that Jesus is on the throne. We can say, come Holy Spirit, but only Jesus could say, go Holy Spirit. And he did, and we are blessed as a result. Number four, the ascension means that Jesus has opened heaven to us. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. I love the way the Message Bible puts it. It says, So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Accept the help. Listen, do you need help? I know I do. Maybe this morning you need help to deal with what is life, what life is handing you. Help with your family, help with your marriage, help with your job, your finances, help with your temper, your depression. You need help. And if you don't know this morning that you need help, then you really do need help. Because of Jesus, the thing is, the Father's arms are open wide. He loves you. He knows your need even better then you know it yourself. And so you can approach him with confidence, not with trepidation, wondering if you're going to be rejected, but you can approach him with confidence, not because you've been a good boy or a good girl and kept up with your Bible readings and not lost your temper with the kids for two days, but because in Jesus, God sees you as blameless. Wow. Finally, the ascension of Jesus means that right now, Jesus is preparing a place for us. He told those first disciples who were distraught at the news that he'd be leaving them, he said, don't let 
your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And that's what he's been doing. Revelation 21 describes the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God. And, and the new Jerusalem is not being built on earth. It's been made in heaven. You know, there have been many disastrous attempts over the centuries to try to create some kind of heaven on earth. Always ends in tears. The city of God cannot be built by human hands. But right now, it's being prepared by Jesus, the master architect and builder. And it's been prepared for those who love him. That too is the hope to which he has called us, part of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We have a share in it. Here's the thing to get, to get hold of. The ascension of Jesus means that you have a friend, the very best friend in high places. In fact, the highest place of all. You have one who gives you access to the throne of grace, one who is working day and night on your behalf, one who speaks for you, who intercedes for you, one has your best interests at heart. John Owen, a great 16th century preacher, put it this way. He said, there in heaven, he, Jesus, leads a life not only of glory, majesty and joy, but a life of service, love and care. He lives as our mediator, our king, our priest, and our prophet. Through him, our present blessings and eternal salvation are secured. That's why we celebrate the ascension of Jesus. So let me conclude by belatedly wishing all of you a very happy Ascension Day. Thank you for listening. Uh, we're going back to Ali for our final song, and it is a belter. So let's get off our sofas and fill our lungs and join with the angels in giving praise to our King. Amen. <laughs>